0: Welcome to Upthinking Finance, a podcast that offers a unique and discerning view of economics and financial planning. Here is your host, Emerson Fersh.
1: Welcome back to another edition of Upthinking Finance. I'm Emerson Fersh. Jay Willard Marriott once said, Great companies are built by people who never stop looking for ways to improve the business. Now, I want to welcome and thank all of you who have subscribed to the YouTube channel, Upthinking Finance, and just those of you who are take the time every week or every two weeks to listen to these episodes. And for those of you who've been here from the beginning, you're already aware that this is a bit of an eclectic approach to a financial podcast, and, and that's intentional. I feel that financial decisions, money, finances in general, impact so many different parts of our lives that it would really be short-sighted to limit it to just investment strategies or financial analysis. Now, those are important. I've shared stories from my experience and some of the approaches I use in managing money for my clients with our firm, and I have brought on economists and geopolitical experts, but I also think it's important to share people's stories because to me, that's interesting and that's real. And so that's why I've brought on people with nonprofit organizations. That's why I have and will continue to interview people who've made career changes or left big companies to start their own business. And I also think it's fun to bring on people who work in industries that we're all familiar with and and have experience with. And that's really today's guest who has kind of a unique qualifications in that she's worked in the same industry for well over 30 years, which is really what is really unique about her. She's worked for the same company in that industry for 34 years. I mean, I can't think of too many people I know that have worked for the same company for five years <laughs> at this point. But at any rate, our guest today's name is Candy Anderson. She has worked for the Marriott Corporation since December of 1988. And her accomplishments with Marriott are broad and deep, and her bio would probably take me a whole episode to go through alone. So the highlights are she started as a sales manager in, at a residence inn in Southern California in December of 1988 eventually worked her way up to a general manager position in that property before then moving up in the marketing and sales aspect of the firm, working as a uh, regional sales director and area sales director, and eventually serving as a general manager for a number of properties in Southern California. Currently, she's the general manager of the Irvine Marriott, which is located in Southern California in Orange County, sort of in the general vicinity of John Wayne Airport. Again, she's done a number of things. She's led convention marketing strategies, she's won awards for customer service in her properties, she's had a profitability recognition within the firm. She's facilitated training courses, leadership training within the company. She's pretty much done it all. Anything you could do at Marriott, she's done. So, it's my pleasure to welcome from Irvine, California, Candy Anderson. Candy, thanks for joining me today. You're welcome. 34 years With the Marriott, uh, I guess the place to start would be, what drew you to the hotel industry? Because apparently it was pretty strong (laughs) since you've been there for quite a while.
2: I haven't left, yes. So graduated college, and like many of us, we don't know what we want to do, right? So we're searching for that fit. We're searching for something that feels like it's intrinsic and something that's natural for us. So just spent a few years looking. and, And then I thought, just really, it's so random, is I love to travel and the hotel industry sounds super fun. So I just started looking and landed a job with Marriott in sales with the brand Residence End, which back then it was very new. No one knew what it was. And so I loved that part of it because I was a trailblazer and talking to the corporate clientele about bringing their business into our buildings. So really random, didn't have any friends, but really felt like it would be a good fit for me because it was front-facing. The customers and people and the culture felt really strong and connected to me. So that's that's as simple as that is what drew me to that industry.
1: You say the culture. Can you elaborate on that a little bit?
2: So back 95 years ago, which is how old Marriott <laughs> is, J.W. Marriott, the founder way back then was all about putting people first. And the motto was, if you take care of your associates, they will take care of the customer. So that culture of loving people, taking care of people, and really that's been manifested through COVID where Marriott was one of the very few companies that kept benefits for all of their people on payroll, even though they were furloughed or in different packages, kept benefits for their people. So really, it's about taking care of people, taking care of each other. And really, I use the word love a lot in my business, which is weird to some people. But I love my people. I love what I do. And I was very fortunate to find something that has brought me great joy for 34 years.
1: No, that's great. So I mentioned before we started, I dabbled in the hotel industry for a few years when I was younger. And I guess the one question I would ask, because it's pretty high energy, particularly the type of properties that looks like you've worked in in the areas you've worked in, it's 24-7. I know it just seemed like you never really could count on holidays off. I mean, there's certainly a lot of, like, I don't know, sacrifices, if you could put it that way, to a career in that because, you know, you I mean, you've got your own personal life, but conventions and Christmas parties and all the different things that go on, did was that ever a problem for you to really adjust to or... It's just you're kind of born for it.
2: (laughs) I was more fortunate that because I started in the sales discipline, that part of the business was really more of a Monday through Friday. Then I went into operations. And I tell you this because if I would have started in events or front desk, I would be working Sundays, Saturdays, nights. I have been quite fortunate to have the balance of managing my own business and managing my own time. Again, it's been more about the amount of time versus the weekends and the evenings. So the culture has changed, which is good. The culture many years ago was, hey, the more hours you put in, you you work those 10, 12-hour days. That's great. You're awesome. You're going to get ahead. And it's really changed now. And it has to change with myself, the general manager and other properties that our younger generation is saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I need balance. So we're really yeah. figuring and maneuvering through that. And COVID helped us actually to look at some different flex with our people, because we've got to create that for people to want to work for our industry. It can't be like it was before. So for me, I've been able to balance it, yeah, long story short.
1: That's actually a good point. I know we're going to talk a little bit about how the COVID impacted you know the industry as a whole, but I've even noticed that in just my work. I mean, I have my small little company and three people I work with, two that are I guess you'd say administrative associates, staff. But it's been salary is important, but flexibility of schedule and and like you said, balance is really that's a benefit. And that's one that's been as a small business owner is something I have been able to offer, which has been good. It's, you know, a little more nimble, I suppose you might say, than a bigger company. And so we've been able to do that. But so here's a question. I don't know if this is fair, but it just kinda popped into my mind because it, my impression of the hotel industry again and i worked at big hotel at lax probably for the most of my time in the industry it seemed like if you worked hard you could advance and being a female i know there are certain industries that are just you know like my industry is pretty male dominated even to this day you know financial services and so mm-hmm. Based on looking at your bio and your resume, I mean, it certainly doesn't look like anything ever got in your way. I mean, is that just unique to the industry or is that just because you worked hard or maybe both?
2: I give some credit to my father who I call he has somewhat of an intimidation factor. He's a wonderful, soft man, but he created this grit in me that I never saw any barriers with men. So, for example, though, is I've been here now four years. So for 35 years, I was the first female general manager in this building. So there's glass ceiling and all those conversations we can have. And it's always interesting because when I first started, as many women my age can attest to is we could not wear pants. (laughs) We could only wear skirts. And pantyhose. And it was a very different, we were seen very differently. And as time, but again, there was somewhat of a balance factor between still being a woman that was confident and still had some skills that weren't in the, we'll call it the man category. It was a blend because I had feedback through the years, well, you need to do this differently and you need to act this way And I would modify somewhat, but I could not change who I was because I'm very different than I would say a typical general manager, not so untypical of someone in sales. But I started in sales and had that financial acumen and that operations desire. So I was able to blend both and maneuver through the company. But I've never been passed up for a promotion. I've never had anything that because I was a woman... Stop me from doing what I was doing. And again, along the way, as you know, it takes great mentors. And they were all men for me that said, you know what, you got this, you can do this, you know, your next job. Hey, yeah, you got this, you can do that. So you fake it till you make it. And so some spaces, right? Or you're not quite ready for some of these jobs, but you just take a risk. So I was fearless. I was confident as a young child. I was a performer and singer and dancer. So I was up on stage. So that really helped me to feel confident. And I was always the first one raising my hand in meetings, which that's somewhat of a criticism with women in our industry is sometimes the man can dominate a conversation. No. I'm head on, straight on. It's not man or woman for me. I mean, I've headed a, been a chair of many women's conferences. However, I really love more of the parody. I don't want to talk about women that we need to bound together and get out there and have more presence. We have presence. We've done that. Although I love women's conferences, I really love more about We are all equal. It is all about our talents. It's all about what we bring versus who we are from a either a skin color or a gender. So long story short, no barriers for me, but a lot of that has been about me and about how you're brought up and no barriers and make it happen and work hard. I came from very hardworking parents and so it was, you've got to earn your money for that day. So before I leave every day, I think, about what did I do to, to move the business? What did I do to make it better?
1: It's interesting, yeah, because the foundation, I think you brought up is really critical. It's funny how just a childhood and experiences and things can impact you later in life. But it's also interesting, too, because I've done a few interviews with people who, in fact, one that worked at ESPN and finally just had to go because the, the the environment shifted. That was part of it. But it's interesting to hear you talk because really what you're saying is you've found a culture. I mean, you shared that the, the founder had sort of an inclusive, I mean, I know that word gets kind of overused, but. Really just a higher purpose kind of an organization where Mm -hmm. we want to help people, we want to serve. And that really, when you look at uh, kind of have a vision like that, the participants really are just people who see that same buy into that, I guess, you know what I'm saying?
2: Yes. Yes, so to embrace sure.
1: the, the vision and see a higher purpose to what you're doing, which is great, because I think that's what we're all trying to do is find something that we do, that we spend our time on that, that's more than just an income. It's you're serving a purpose, a, you know, a higher calling, I suppose you could say. So
2: Exactly. Um. And, and when people ask me, what's the best part of my job? It is about helping my associates, whether it's getting to that next job or doing something to better their lives. That's really my joy. Yes, it's about the customers. It's about making money. But for me, intrinsically, when my career is finished with Marriott, that's what I'm going to take and that's what I'm going to hold is the friendships and what I did for people to help them.
1: No, and I can echo that just on my side of the desk, too, in my little corner of the financial world. I say this all the time. We just I work with great people and we have just awesome clients, you know, and it's very satisfying. So you have, again, the unique perspective of having been in the industry for a long time. I mean, I know this is probably a question that would be hard to narrow down, but if you were to just kind of give listeners a summary of how um, the industry's really evolved, I mean, you're going back, you know, the go-go 80s through the 90s. I mean, you've gone through a lot, 9-11. I mean, I'm guessing there's been a lot of shifts. So maybe if there's a way to kind of go through that and just kind of maybe outline some of the highlights and defining moments of the industry as you've observed, that would be really interesting, I think.
2: I would love to. So again, through the ups and downs over the years, right? And I would say the Early 80s for Marriott, a lot of companies were in trouble through different spaces of time. So in the early 80s, Marriott was in a financial bind. Mr. Marriott went to Coca-Cola and said, we need a loan. Coca-Cola said no. So they went to Pepsi. Pepsi gave them the loan and thus, Pepsi is our main provider. So it's very interesting. People say, why don't we have Coke and why is Pepsi our provider? It's a very interesting story about partnershiping, right? So It's about when Mr. Marriott, when they were in trouble financially, went to their partners, had success there, and were able to get through some difficult times. Definitely 9-11 was then the next pivotal moment, which was very difficult for our industry. What's different about 9-11 and COVID, it was shorter lived, right? So with 9-11, yes, it impacted our industry. It slowed it down somewhat, but we were able to maneuver and get through that. Now, what happened with Marriott in the 80s? is we used to be owned all the hotels by Marriott. So in the 80s, we had a gentleman named Stephen Bolenbach, who at the time was our president, had a brilliant strategy of basically taking the assets and making a management company and then selling off the assets to different ownership groups. So that minimized the risk for Marriott. I mean, you think Mm. about if right now with COVID, if Marriott owned all their buildings, we could not have survived. (laughs) But because outside owners have all of our buildings, Marriott owns very few buildings because outside owners take the risk on that. Of course, we're at risk as well. We're a management company. We have fees and we have different entities with that as well. But that so even though COVID was very difficult, it was more difficult, even more so for our owners. It was difficult for Marriott too so the owners needed to go to their banks as well as Marriott had to reach out to partners as well to get through this difficult time. I mean, really, the only other industry other than ours would have been the cruise industry that probably was more impacted than us. So I would say how Marriott survived over the years, um, obviously, like most companies, the profit and we hire a million amazing, brilliant minds right, that help us maneuver through. It's easy during the good times, right? One of the biggest moves Marriott made about six years ago is the purchase of Starwood. So at the time when Marriott purchased Starwood, it was very risky. And Wall Street was waiting to see what would happen with this multi-billion dollar deal, the biggest deal that had ever been made in the hotel industry. At the time, our shares were about $75, They grew to about 185 about six months ago. Right now we're sitting about 152, but even so, you look at from uh, when we purchased Starwood and the great success and what a brilliant move that was. Arnie Sorensen was our CEO at the time. He actually passed away a couple of years ago from cancer, but he is deemed as one of the greatest CEOs, not just in the hotel industry, but throughout the country. So really made some brilliant moves. So Marriott's success, kind of summarizing, having great partners through the tough times that could help them out, making brilliant moves to alleviate the risk, the financial risk that when the downtime happened, survival was not a problem. We would be able to get through those times. So it's really about great partnership. It's about great strategies, great leadership. And now we are the largest hotel company in the world. But it's not about being the largest or the biggest. It is about having great leadership, having great people and great culture. And that's what makes Marriott different. From my perspective of talking to other people in the industry, the culture at Marriott is stronger because of these relationships, because of the platform. And it's really one of the own, um, even though we're not family run anymore, still Bill Marriott. He's not the CEO anymore, but he's still on the board. board So there's still a lot of involvement with the family as well. So that's a long story short.
1: (laughs) So, okay. Now, and again, I'm just as from my observations, there's been changes in, I don't know whether you want to call it customer expectations, or maybe that's what it is, or just how demand has gone. Because It seems to me that the Courtyard by Marriott, these more convenience hotels, I don't know what there's, must be a category for like, not to mention competitors, but the the Holiday Inn Express, the Courtyard, you know, the less, the more, would it be called like a utility type of hotel versus resort? I mean, it's not new anymore, but maybe explain some of the changes and kind of deliverables to the population. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. So Marriott started in 1927 in restaurants which a lot of people don't know that it was a, a food and beverage company for 30 years. Then in 1957, purchased their first hotel, which was a we'll call it it was a full service hotel, but a motor hotel where you would drive up. In fact, at the first bellhop was a person on a bike that had follow me on the back and his little license plate. And that's what the first bellhop and the cars <laughs> would follow him to the rooms. So from there, Marriott looked at different opportunities of diversifying, right? So full service was very successful for them. But then in 1987, they purchased the brand Residence Inn from, they were called Brock Hotels then, so purchased that, which was their first acquisition outside of growing from within. And then Courtyard came on later, which was a brand that was built within Marriott and then Fairfield Inn, Spring Hill Suite, let's see, then TownePlace Suites, Spring Hill Suites. So really what this did for Marriott, it gave different types of travel segments to all customers. So really there's not one customer that could not choose a Marriott. There was a product for all travelers. So that strat, Marriott was really the first to diversify like that. And what those properties are called those MSB hotels, Marriott select brands is what those are called. And then we have our full service. We have our luxury, Ritz-Carlton falls in the luxury segment. So Later, Marriott acquired Ritz-Carlton, Renaissance brand, and then many other brands internationally. So Marriott's first international hotel was Acapulco, Mexico in 1975. And then from there, I don't recall exactly how many hotels we have international now, but it is vast and big. And so we have, you know, we're an international company and they've been able to, again, grow this amazing machine by having many, many different brands. And what different brands allows Marriott to do, to also do is to grow. Growth is obviously one of the number one areas where companies continue to make more money and get more partners on as well. So that's been really successful is the acquisition of brands, the growth of brands. And it allows, for example, it allows me to have my hotel, but then a different brand a mile away. I don't even know how many different brands within a mile of Marriott brands, maybe five or six. So you can't do that if you have the same brand type. So you need to have Marriott still gets a piece, really, of everything, but different brands, different brand flags.
1: Okay. And so that's, thanks. I had no idea, actually. (laughs) That's good to get it kind of, you know, you just take these companies for, you know, you see them around and you never really think about the process. So you've been, especially being in the sales side of things, you've been intimately involved with that growth process. Nothing ever goes smoothly. So can I? is it fair for me to ask you maybe some of the challenges that you've seen along the way from your own experience in through that process of expansion? I mean, I guess there's obvious things like communication and whatever, but I mean, I'm sure there's other things that most of us wouldn't think about.
2: I would say it's culture. For example, when Marriott bought the Residence Inn brand, it was very edgy, very... No rules, no SOPs, no. So, a lot of people left the company and went to a new company, perhaps started uh, their own hotel brands. So, it's really just as we all know, sometimes things just don't fit, right? And so, and through time, that brand had more standard operating procedures, and the people that felt the culture fit, they would stay. So that same strategy has happened and same outcome with different brands we've purchased because it's hard for people to change from what they're used to. It's different processes. It's different way of thinking. So the Ritz-Carlton brand, which is an amazing brand for us, was difficult because what was important for the Ritz-Carlton brand is to make sure, yes, it was still a special luxury brand. And Marriott is a certainly a quality name, but it's been tricky on maneuvering from a marketing side, from the guest perspective to make sure that is elevated as high as it is. And then I can, there's Renaissance, there's all these others that it's just, it's keeping the right people in. And sometimes people leave because they're not the right people for the company. So really, it's more about culture fit. It's more about people changing their mindsets and wanting to do something differently too.
1: That makes sense. And I know what you're saying. I mean, I worked, I shared with you, I, I worked at LAX at the competitor <laughs> down the street. We used to always go to the Marriott down there on Century Boulevard for uh, dinner or something. We'd always go over there after on a Friday night after the work week was over. But I know what you're saying, there's a leap from your standard, you know, this would probably go for any company, really. You have your high quality, but sort of your typical, prototypical hotel property, And then you've got these real high-end ones. And so to bridge the perception, is that where the JW Marriott might have come in Is sort of like a slot in between your standard high-quality hotel and then these resorts? Because I've been to a few, and they're really nice.
2: Yes. So JW Marriott is also in our luxury brand segment. So we had that before Ritz-Carlton. So we were getting into that luxury segment and then took the leap and then acquired the Ritz-Carlton brand, which then helped us to elevate that space as well. So now we have St. Regis. We have other brands that also fall into that luxury category too.
1: That makes perfect sense. So you establish a name to the luxury aspect of it. So then people connect that. Then it's not such a big leap.
2: Because you see, it doesn't say Ritz-Carlton by Marriott because... That's not right. the strategy that in the customer's mind, it needs to be a different experience, a unique luxury experience.
1: So I guess then the next thing would be the COVID. I mean, that was disastrous for, I mean, I don't think the, other than online platforms. <laughs> I don't know that there were too many industries that didn't weren't impacted one way or another. How does that change things? Aside from, I mean, I suppose there's the obvious stuff, which is the attention to What is sanitizing? And, you know, I mean, it seems like the the COVID protocols are on every hotel you stay at. They kind of list what they're doing to prevent the spread of germs and things. But I guess beyond that, how has it shifted things for you?
2: So the great news now is business is better than 2019. So that's the great news for us. So what shifted for me personally is there's a lot more leisure travel. So the corporate segment is still in flux. Some corporate travel is somewhat back to normal and other companies have really pulled back on that. Companies have looked at different ways to do meetings, more hybrid, less people, so maybe not as large of functions as they had prior. So from an occupancy standpoint, from a leisure demand, it's really strong. From a group side, not just Marriott, but all of the business from future and larger groups, there's still a lot of room to grow in that space. So I can fill my rooms and I can replace some of my group and corporate with leisure. However, there's still a gap in the catering side. So we have large ballrooms that we need to fill, but also we have that F and B component that's missing—not missing, just decline further. And what we're finding too, we do multi-year contracts. So we do, you know, all of us do association business. We do large gatherings for companies, many different events. And it's just people are a little more hesitant to sign multi-year agreements based on what happened with COVID. We certainly were very flexible and we worked with customers and we able to maneuver through it. So, again, people are doing large group. They're on the catering side. It's just not as strong as it was. So not sure what that looks like. Most people are pacing a little bit off in that space, but the leisure and the rates are higher. So that's been really positive for our industry because from a profit standpoint, certainly that's great news for the owners and for Marriott. But so it's really the corporate gap and the large group that uh, we're still working towards in the industry. We're not quite back yet on that.
1: Do you see that eventually coming back? And the reason I ask is we do actually events, my firm, you know, we do client events. In fact, we Mm -hmm. use the Marriott up in Long Beach, right Mm -hmm. down from our office there by the airport. And I know that... We, the last one we had was in 2019, you know, had over hundred people, mm-hmm. which considering our clients are most of them are out of state now, but the ones we do have that are local, that's a drive for some to get there. That's pretty good attendance, but I know this time around, we're probably, we're projecting probably half of that because there's still a segment of people that just don't want to go out and be in a, right. in a crowd of people, even clients. I mean, as you know, I'm working mostly out of Southern Utah now, and even the clients I have that are in Long Beach when I'm in town, would still prefer to do a Zoom call. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Is that just a function of time or is this maybe representing a shift kind of with the whole work at home thing? And, you know, a lot of these things have just changed. And some people I've read yeah. think it's permanent.
2: Well, I do believe it's there's a shift. So podcasts were around prior, certainly to Zoom and to all of our different platforms, but it has allowed our meetings. So for example, we still do meetings with Marriott too. I mean, we do a lot of in-person, but efficiency of time, you can see the person, you can talk to the person, you have dynamics. However, there still is that missing component of that relationship building, that the touching, the feeling that, that you can't get over the screen. So my vision is that probably next year we'll continue to see more hybrid, we'll continue to see growth in that segment. I would say in a couple years, I believe the group side will be back to 2019, back to normal pace on that. The corporate business, I think, will maybe not be quite as strong as it was for us because more people are finding, you know, there was a lot of trust issues with companies before. So having my person work from home, what are they going to be doing, how successful they can be? Well, during COVID, that changed the perception. Of that. So there's some parts that are here to stay, but I do believe after a couple years, a lot of our business from the function standpoint, from the corporate business, from I think that will be pretty much back to a trend of 2019.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that's the missing part. I mean, I'm on these calls with clients, and the only thing missing is a hug at the end of the meeting. You know you right. can't. You know you don't get that, and there's something to be said for that for sure. I also wondered too. I mean, and this might be to the kind of some things you see if you were to like. I mean, you kind of already maybe answered the question, but trends where maybe things will evolve into a new direction. I mean, as an example, I think that traditional office space and permanent locations, especially for smaller businesses, even my wife's old law firm. I mean, they had three what do you call them floors of space up in LA and. They're consolidating back because, again, what you described, just more efficiencies working remotely—and even I know, our, you know, our situation with myself working remotely more now, and you know, you start to question: Do you really need this big permanent? And I'm thinking that might be a place where hotels could possibly step in and become sort of these transitional office spaces. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. It's just you start to think where. Things are headed. So do you have any thoughts maybe on the future of the industry?
2: We are seeing some of that already to your point. We have some small meeting space and you know, and for example, we used to have sales offices. So we have sales on property and as well as large sales organizations that sell for multiple properties. We no longer have those. So they're working from home. It's more efficient and it does save the company money as well. So I do see that continuing, which other companies are doing the same. So it hurts our business a little bit. But I do see that as a trend that will continue. And I'm being more flexible with some of my positions that can work from home because that creates the desire to still work for this company and still work this hotel. Yeah, I think it's changing. It'll change a little bit back. But we have a segment that we call leisure, which is business and leisure combined. So <laughs> leisure. I know we come up with names for everything. But truly, right. people are doing more of that, right? So they're on yeah. business. They're bringing their family more. because. Some of their kids are doing still hybrid school. So there's more flexibility with men or women to bring their families with them and have really a great leisure experience. So I'm doing a lot of things differently at my hotel. I've been a typical corporate hotel where my building sits. However, you walk in, it has a lot of leisure legs to it. My pool area is super great and feels very, uh, has a resort feel to it. So You'll see more of that happening. It's less segmentation of properties and really more. people want to have a great leisure experience even when they're on business travel.
1: That makes sense, and that totally fits. I think we've been doing Darcy and I have been doing the leisure lifestyle
2: <laughs> <laughs> Your whole before.
1: Life. yeah, really yeah. Huh? So no, that's great. Well, all right, so here I'm gonna put you on the spot, two things, okay, And we didn't agree to this, but I, I know it'll be oh, okay. okay cause Ignite I deny it. yeah, right. <laughs> We can always edit it out, no, no, but so the first thing I was think you've accomplished a ton of stuff. it's impressive the amount of things. is there anything that you really i mean not you know, I know you're a humble person, but if you really say, say this is something I really feel proud of, I mean, was that okay if out of all yeah, your things, sure. one thing that really just stands out for you
2: so. When I started in this industry, I made very little money. So just like a lot of us, I wasn't chasing the dollar. I was chasing something that would make me happy. And I remember someone saying to me, oh, she doesn't make a lot of money, but she loves what she does. So truly um, what I'm most proud of is I've been able to do something that I love and make a very good living. So a great balance. And then with that, I've made decisions along the way where I could have different jobs and Um, some higher title jobs, but I made the decision for the family. I made the decision for balance. So I'm proud that I have accomplished, actually more than accomplished my financial goals, but I did it my way. I did it a way that made me happy and was able to be with my family. I mean, I was on the road. I had a regional director job, senior regional director job for about 14 years. So I was on the road a lot, but I was still able to balance pretty good the family. So that's what I'm most proud of is I chased the balance. I chased a life that was financially rewarding but even more importantly rewarding because I did what I loved and I didn't do things that took me out of that space of balance and being away from my family. I was away from my family for about 7 years and it was fine, but took a different turn to make a change there. So really, that's what I'm most proud of through my 34 years.
1: There's a word for that. It's called integrity. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, because I've been having conversations with people and a lot of it's making the choice for the flexibility, for the happiness by leaving and starting your own company. But there's also something to be said for finding a culture and environment and a career in, a, in an industry you love but not allowing it to consume you. And I, and I think actually is, that is actually quite an accomplishment in the hotel industry because I know, I mean, it's competitive for sure. I mean, there's a lot of people and there is a corporate ladder and there's opportunity. And and so to be able to not lose yourself and all that is that's, that's the perfect answer. So thank you for that. You. Okay. You're welcome. Last question, Candy. Uh- <laughs> Uh-oh, you the hardest is last. Well, no, it's just kind of the fun one and I, okay. I'm sure that anybody with the Marriott Corporation listening to this is just going to have to accept the fact that I'm asking this question, but outside of Marriott properties, and I'll answer this first. If one hotel that just really sticks out, unless you only travel to Marriott's because you get some kind of an employee benefit, maybe that's- <laughs> I do. I do. But okay. You know, cause I've traveled for my work, not, I mean, we've gone to some cool places, as you know, all over the world. And, but if I think of like a hotel- experience i'll never forget the four seasons in chicago mm. and i don't know what first of all i had the coolest room it was this financial conference and i had a view of i think it was michigan boulevard on one side and lake michigan on the other so the location in the, the, the room was just amazing but the service down to the housekeepers i mean everybody was friend i mean you just couldn't not notice it you felt i think, appreciated and it was a cool old hotel So I was just curious, is there one property that really stands out? And you know what? I won't even put the non-Marriott thing on it. Whichever one, if you just think, this place really just hit the mark for me, what would that be?
2: Well, here's the good news. Because I'm 34 years with Marriott, I've really not stayed at any other brands because of my great benefit of... OK, because after 25 years, you actually get free rooms called Quarter oh. Century Club, which is really nice. But I'll tell you the hotel that stands out for me. And there's two reasons. It was the first resort I went to. So when I first joined Marriott, I think it was a year later. I thought, oh, let's go golfing. Let's go to the resort. So it's JW, uh, JW Desert Springs, which is in Palm Desert. And oh. so it was my first resort. And it's still my favorite hotel. Because it's an experience. You walk in and you have different entities that welcome you, whether it's birds or different, of feeling like you're in Palm Springs, you're relaxing. you're there to have a different experience than before you walked in the door. And the service has always been impeccable. It's a, you know, it's a large resort hotel, so you have a lot of group there, you have a lot of leisure. There's different components that make it complex, but you have golf courses and you have this most amazing spa. So for me, for me going somewhere, it's about relaxation and the spa is a must because that's what I love (laughs) to do. And I do like to golf. And so anyway, it's probably a little bit of bias because it was my first, but it's still one of my favorites. And really for me in joining Marriott, I thought, wow, I can afford to stay in a place like this, it was new to me. We, you know, we grew up staying in Holiday Inns, and I mean, well, I grew up in a fine environment, but certainly not in a luxury environment like that. So it was really special. Still, my favorite hotel, and great service, great hotel, and it's beautiful.
1: That's fun. Well, that's a fair answer.
2: Yeah, I can't. I <laughs> so, can't go outside that.
1: No, no. Well, listen, I appreciate the time, Candy. It's you're charming, and it's been a pleasure to talk. And uh, I want to just thank you for joining me today on Upthinking Finance.
2: It's my pleasure. And yes, please all come stay at Marriott Hotels. There's my final advertising for this amazing company.
1: Awesome. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Emerson Fersh is a registered representative with and securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC advisor services offered through lpl financial a registered investment advisor and separate entity from capital investment advisors the opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual to determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision The guest speakers and the companies they represent are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial or Capital Investment Advisors. Individual tax and legal matters should be discussed with your tax or legal expert. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. There is no assurance that the techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. The purchase of certain securities may be required to affect some of the strategies. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal.